Welcome in to the OMR Podcast International. My name is Scott Peterson, International Digital Marketing Editor at OMR. In today's episode, the boss man, OMR CEO Philip Westermeyer, is joined by New York Times culture and tech reporter and friend of OMR, Taylor Lawrence. If you happen to be at the 2019 OMR Festival in Hamburg, you may have caught Taylor's keynote on the conference stage. If you missed it, it's up on our YouTube channel. It's certainly worth your time, and as per usual with her work, it offers some fascinating insights into the U.S. tech scene. Back then, she was with The Atlantic. Now she's with The New York Times, covering the same beat, culture, and tech stateside. In the OMR podcast, Taylor and Philip touch on a range of U.S. tech trends, including App Du Jour Clubhouse, social media platforms popular among right-wing Americans not named Parler, and what the Biden presidency could mean regarding changes to social media. All of that and more in the OMR podcast international right now. Welcome, Taylor Lawrence. Thank you for having me. Hey, you're in LA, right? Yes, yes. Is that normal to write for the New York Times from LA? <laughs> There's not many of us out here, but I'm trying to record, you know, recruit more people to the sunny weather. <laughs> but it's not it's not caused by by your your business focus, right? I mean, you're focusing on on social media, on influencers, and all these topics. Is that too, is that better covered in in LA? Yeah, I mean, the good thing about what I write about is it's all online, so you can almost do it from anywhere. Um, but I will say that out in LA is the whole entertainment ecosystem, and of course, we have Silicon Valley, you know, just up north. So. Um, it's, it's not, yeah, it's a little bit closer to, to some aspects of it. You know, there's a lot of influencers. I'm, I'm right by the hype house. <laughs> um, so, okay. yeah. And I mean, we, we talked a little bit before the podcast, then I wanted to get your take on, on like a new service that's exciting, at least the tech and, and media bubble uh, here in Germany a service called Clubhouse. I, I think, you know, the company well. Yes, definitely. I've been on it since the second week after it launched. And, and it launched like early last year? Uh, yeah, it launched uh, in around, I believe it was around April last year. And then how did it go? Well, I mean, I've been a heavy user since, um, but I kind of, I, I really enjoyed the app initially. Um, I was spending a lot of time on it. And then last summer, um, when it really began to take off, um, myself and many other women, you know, experienced some kind of harassment and negative interactions on the app. And since then, I really haven't been talking on the app as much, but I listen to a lot of rooms and I'm more of a lurker. <laughs> and, and is it popular? I mean, I mean, obviously you're very close to, to new, new stuff like this, but is it like popular across the country? It's not really popular across the country here yet. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a niche thing. Um, it initially was popular with sort of Silicon Valley um, and tech venture capitalists when I initially, I think I wrote my first story about the company last May or June. And at that time, it was really limited to just people in the tech ecosystem. And since then, it's it's gotten more traction in people sort of like affiliated with the music industry um, and kind of, and there's some some minor celebrities on, but it's not really a household name yet at all. And you think it's going to become one? I think it could. I think it really could. Um, but I mean, you know, what, we'll what hinders it? I mean, obviously, right now with the pandemic, it, it should be the ideal moment for them to break through. I mean, what, yeah. what stops them? Well, I think what stops them is they had a bit of a rocky rollout here in the U.S. Um, and I think that they, you know, when they initially launched, they didn't even have a blocking feature until, I believe, the fall or late summer. So, 
you know, there was just a lot of bad actors that had been basically banned from Twitter and Facebook and elsewhere hopped on Clubhouse um, or people that were really divisive on, you know, these bigger platforms were kind of hopping on Clubhouse and causing problems. And the company was doing nothing to moderate that or to help, you know, sort of like stem these problems with misinformation, with radicalism, with, um, you know, just harassment and bullying and stuff like that. So I think like a lot of people got on it and had a negative interaction and dropped off. But then, of course, a lot of people got on it and have had a great reaction. It's definitely a thing here. It's just not like super widespread, I think, because it's been a little bit it's been a little bit bumpy as they've kind of rolled out features. But I mean, is it true that they try to like or that they paid major celebrities that we're talking Oprah Winfrey, Michelle Obama to be on the app? Yeah, they definitely, um, you know, have given, uh, as I understand, stock to some of the biggest people, like the sort of influential early users. Um, I'm not sure about, you know, like specifically if like Oprah was paid or anything like that, but they did launch an influencer program um, recently that's sort of like a beta testing group where, um, you know, they, they might roll out monetization schemes first to that group, that sort of like a list group that they've made mm -hmm. and and do you hear talk about like a new financing round i mean the the, the latest valuation i mean it's it's right after the start it was a hundred million valuation and they got they took in 10 10 million i think that's what you can read mm -hmm. um that usually is not enough to keep the company going um at a, at, at a silicon valley pace so do you hear about that I, I think that they are going to need to raise more money. I mean, I think just the problem is that they have had, they've invested really nothing in, in terms of like building out the products, like building out, you know, um, like trust and safety, moderation tools, customization tools. Um, so they really, they really need to staff up on engineers. And as we all know, engineers, it's not, you know, that's not cheap. And I imagine that that $10 million is going to go very quickly. So, um, We'll see. You know, it hasn't been a year yet. So maybe in the next couple of months, I think we'll see if they start poking around for more money. Okay. And, and for you, I mean, how is, you, how is your um, behavior? Are you on it every day, once a week? Like the circle of friends? I mean, I assume you're like friends with a lot of media and, and, and digital people. Um, what's the behavior like? Yeah, I go on there a lot. Um, there's a lot of conversations around digital media and tech and the things that I cover. Um, so social media economy and all of that. Um, so I really like to go on and listen to like experts in those spaces speak. Um, we've had a bunch of really famous TikTok stars from this house called The Sway House that <laughs> were on there sort of telling about their careers and their thoughts on sort of these different platforms. Um, so I find that really interesting. And then I, I like the kind of the novelty rooms. Um, there's this room called like Lullaby Club where they just play, they sort of talk in relaxing voices and play relaxing music. And then there's sort of these other funny rooms that pop up for different audio experiences. So I like those as well. Is, is I mean, within the audio segment, I mean, there's so many new audio platforms or apps uh, getting started these days. Is it the biggest one? Would you say that? Definitely. Yeah. Clubhouse is, is absolutely, I would say the biggest audio first app, maybe, maybe second only to discord. Um, but discord is not really audio first, but obviously voice chat component in discord is so big. Um, I think since clubhouse launched, there's a million kind of copycats. Um, I know there's one called jelly, another one called the cookout. Um, so I think specifically, you know, focused on black community. Um, And, you know, there's lots of, there's, there's lots of others coming up. I, I will say that one thing that's been interesting, um, 
with the Clubhouse community is America is it was really embraced by the Black community, specifically like the Black entertainment community. So you have a lot of really famous um, rappers and people that are kind of in that Black entertainment world um, you, using the app. Um, so it'll be interesting to watch kind of how it all. But it's, it's unusual for an app to like actually start out as a as your as your core group, but venture capital people and and, and investors and Silicon Valley people. Usually, you need like teenagers and and young people, and and all mm -hmm. of a sudden it's like the I don't know the mid 40 people to, that that trying to launch an app. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it's evolved. I, I mean, they've definitely tried to court specific communities and do community outreach and things like that, um, but it hasn't caught on as much with young people. I think also young people are more likely to already be socializing online. Um, so young people, you know, are playing Fortnite and, you know, they're in voice chat with their friends and they're snap, you know, talking on Snapchat and live streaming and all that stuff. Whereas I think like the, what clubhouse is filled in need is for almost the older people, like the forties and 30, late thirties, maybe even fifties, you know, people that are kind of stuck at home and they aren't, so engaged already online in these different ways and so they're really like looking to make connections and looking to expand their networks and meet new people okay um let's talk about a couple other emerging networks or, or apps or whatever you want to call that um and i know that you're close to most of them what's your take on on parlor i mean it's coming back now it's, it's is that going to be influential or is that just like the press worrying that there is a right-wing platform is that a true true threat Well, I do think it's a threat in that um, it's kind of this den for extremism. And as we just had this riot, you know, at the Capitol where these um, sort of political extremists took over the Capitol building, and a lot of that was planned on Parler and Facebook, um, but a lot of the more vicious threats and stuff were made on Parler. So I don't see Parler ever becoming a mainstream platform. It's also just a really bad app. Like it's very glitchy. It breaks a lot. Like it's just not a great product. Um, so I don't really think it will scale. Um, but I do think people are right to be concerned. I mean, we have very serious problems right now with um, disinformation and extremism on the tech platforms kind of, I don't know if you, do you guys, I don't know if you have QAnon over there. Yeah, yeah a little um, bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just such a huge phenomenon over here and um, it's become so mainstream because of, you know, the way that these platforms can kind of help radicalize people. Um, so I think it's just, it's sort of just something that lawmakers are, are starting to pay attention to. And I think that these platforms are really starting to take seriously. Okay. And, and how is the, how is the whole signal and, and threema um, wave going? I mean, the, what we hear here is that like WhatsApp is, is, you know, data privacy has data privacy problems and there's like influential people, um, advising their communities to to switch to Signal is that is that a true story? I mean, is that really happening in in in, in, in how do you say that in big big uh, troves, or is that just like a couple of people and, and not not really a threat for for WhatsApp? No, it's not just a couple of people. It it you know there was this big wave. My colleague um, Mike Isaac wrote a story, I believe, and I can't remember the exact number, but it's it was significant. I mean, Signal got a huge boost from that um, discussion around data privacy and stuff. Ultimately, though, WhatsApp is such a behemoth and they have so many users and they're so globalized that I, do, I don't know if it will, um, you know, cause them sort of long term harm. But I think in the short term, um, Signal got a boost. And I think it opened more people's eyes up to this conversations around data privacy. Um, you know, we don't have things like GDPR or other data privacy initiatives that 
um, people elsewhere have around, like, you know, in Europe and, and elsewhere. So I think like, I think, I think more people and just average users are starting to think more critically about data privacy and what these tech companies are harvesting from us. How many messages in a day are you writing on Signal? Oh God, I'm on Signal a lot. I mean, because I'm a journalist and I just use it all the time. So probably several hundred. Oh, okay. <laughs> But okay. I, I, yeah, not, I'm not, you know, messaging everyone. But I think a lot of, um, you know, Signal, Signal is becoming a mainstream platform for messaging. That's undeniable. So, and, and it's mainstream in a completely different sense than Clubhouse is at the moment. Yes. I mean, I think Signal is, is bigger than, than Clubhouse in, in terms of recognition. Um, how about OnlyFans? What's, what's the position of OnlyFans in the market? Yeah, OnlyFans really has had a year, I would say, especially since the pandemic, um, so many influencers have turned to OnlyFans. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh we'll cut that out no problem okay let me start again um only fans in the past year only fans has really make an, made a name for itself um a lot of huge influencers have gotten on only fans so celebrities like bella thorne uh tana mojo um and other people have like sort of people that you would think of you know that's not They're, you know, they're not really necessarily doing porn or that explicit content, but they're sort of using OnlyFans as almost a Patreon alternative to kind of charge people subscription fees. Um, and so a lot of influencers have hopped on it. It's becoming more popular. Um, a lot of people as well, in, you know, when the pandemic hit, and my colleague Jillian just wrote about this as well, um, hopped on OnlyFans almost as a way of last resort, you know, to pay for to basically make their make ends meet um, because it is one of these platforms you can sort of just get on and start selling things and setting up a page and hopefully start gen generating revenue. But um, so, yeah, it's becoming a platform. It still has kind of like an edginess to it because it's association with the like adult industry. So, um, you know, and there still are, it's, it's still primarily a platform for sex workers and porn stars and things like that. So, It's, you know, it's, I wouldn't say it's like brand safe necessarily, but it's definitely um, becoming more mainstream. Ma more mainstream, yeah. And it, it, may, it might go down the same uh, way that other platforms, they, they always start out with porn and in, in this, uh, you know, in this neighborhood and then they find their way into the, into the mainstream, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that's just the, the way of the internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one last thing, I mean, I, especially among journalists, What's your perception of Substack? Substack has been incredible. Um, you know, it's it's really they it's it's really amazing, kind of like what they've been able to build and build in such short short amount of time. Also, it's notable that Substack is backed by the same um, lead investor as Clubhouse. So Andreessen Horowitz is the lead investor in Substack as well as um, Clubhouse. So it's just kind of funny that. They've invested in all of these new kind of social type platforms. Um, but Substack is, is really become a place for journalists and writers to monetize. I think it follows this same sort of trend that we're seeing, which is helping individuals build businesses for themselves on the internet. So, you know, a lot of people, for instance, maybe they put their newsletter on Substack and then they're selling, you know, maybe they They also do Twitch streams that they pay gate and they have a podcast that they monetize. And that's sort of the new way to go for media entrepreneurs. Um, Substack is also paying big name writers advances um, to get on the platform. So they'll tell, 
these big name people that have left, you know, major news sites like the Vox and um, New York Times and others, you know, hey, we'll give you, you know, whatever it is, X amount of money um, to be on Substack for a year. And if you don't make that back, you know, in a year, okay, but we'll give it to, we'll give you that money that we think that you'll earn upfront, basically. Mm-hmm. So it's, they've been they're able to lure a lot of um, pretty big name people away. Did, did they approach you? <laughs> I couldn't even talk about it if they did. <laughs> okay, but I mean, even your, your colleagues from the New York Times and they were approached? They definitely have approached uh, many people. At the and what's Times, the biggest yeah. name n- name journalist that, that has actually switched to Substack? Yeah? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, Matt Iglesias recently left Vox. Um, Glenn Greenwald famously left The Intercept for Substack. Um, and then you're seeing a lot of... Um, Other writers, I mean, like, for instance, Anne Helen Peterson of BuzzFeed, who writes about celebrity culture, and she wrote a book recently about kind of burnout and millennial stuff. You know, she has a a newsletter kind of dedicated to themes around her book, but, you know, I wouldn't, she has a very sort of like loyal and dedicated following. And I think that's a good example of like the average Substack creator. Yes, there are these big name stars um, from legacy outlets, but there's also just people that are kind of very well known in their specific audience group. And, um, you know, maybe they just even have like 5,000 incredibly dedicated readers. Those people will pay. I mean, Casey Newton, who was at The Verge, um, left The Verge to do Substack and I know has been wildly successful. What's your perception? I mean, Anderson Horowitz, I know you have sort of like a, a tainted relationship with them in a, in a way. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I work. It, it's fine. I, I mean, my... I'm, I very much criticized um, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, the founders. Um, I mean, I think that they rightly have deserved a lot of criticism for the the way that they've, the sort of the statements they've made online. So a lot of them have just made, I mean, Ben and Mark have made very inflammatory statements online. And in the earlier days of Clubhouse, you know, Mark Andreessen was incredibly active and was using Clubhouse to kind of bully um young women on the app and other people that he felt like disagreed with his political philosophies. And I just think that that's really harmful. And um, so I try to call it out, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I have like a bad relationship with the company as a whole or anything like that. I mean, they announced that they try to become more and more of a, of a media company. I mean, and it's, it's the, what's yeah. what they do, right? I mean, what's your perception of that? I mean, I think that's really interesting. And I, I, I I think it's expected and, and, you know, more power to them. I think Andreessen Horowitz has always been very content first. So they put out a lot of content. I mean, a lot of Mark's blog posts are, are very well read, um, but they also put out a lot of just like thought leadership pieces from um, the different partners and they have a really successful podcast. So they're already putting out tons of content and now they're kind of going to launch this opinion website where basically people can write about technology and and write sort of opinion pieces related to technology and um I think that's I think that's fine and great you know the more that they want to write their opinions you know I think it's it's helpful to to hear the way you know that tech people especially these big name investors think about technology and make their opinions known um you know I don't see it as like competing with the New York Times or anything like that just because it's not it's not a reported out it's they're not, it's not like a reported out piece. It's going to be for people to share kind of like more like viewpoints, kind of like thought leadership, um, which is what they're doing now. It's, I, I would put it all under the guise of like content marketing for the firm. Okay. Okay. Um, 
what's happening? I mean, you're writing a book about the creator economy. Um, and like, I noticed there's big stuff happening around creators all the time. Most recently, Mr. Beast, the YouTuber that founded his own, um, or like that launched his own burger, burger chain and had like a couple hundred um, outlets already in the country. Like, is that the, is that also like the most impressive example of the creator economy uh, to you, Mr. Beast, or like talk about this a little bit? Yeah, I think Mr. Beast is really interesting. I, I wouldn't say he's like, I, I mean, I think he's he does a lot of stunts. Um, and I think that, the, that that's very interesting. And he's a very creative individual. Um, to me, I look at more of um, people that have built like successful businesses, long term sustainable brands like Mr. Beast is not necessarily, you know, he does these very viral stunts, but I don't think he's like, built something like, you know, when we think of like Kylie Jenner, for instance, and mm -hmm. Kylie's cosmetics business you know she really used her influence to launch this wildly successful brand or you look at some of the beauty youtubers um you know jeffree star although jeffree star is constantly in, you know involved in, in drama and and very problematic in many ways but he's launched this incredibly successful um makeup business as well so i i think um you know, other influencers have launched successful products and lines and you're seeing influencers also get more into investing, early stage investing in companies. And I do think that's the future. I think that um, influencers are traditionally thought of to monetize through ad revenue and that's increasingly not true. You know, they're not doing these brand deals and shout outs as much as they are doing kind of like stunts and integrations and product lines. And in, I mean, which are the, the biggest businesses that were built based on influencer marketing is it is it is it kylie jenner or is it who is it i would say it is kylie jenner i mean i think she's celebrity adjacent but i think she's used her business you know, she's really built a successful business um i mean but david dobrik has has also built an incredibly successful merch business and launched you know clickbait which is his kind of like merch line um and also has his own photo app you know he built a whole product, the whole tech product based off, um, you know, he was kind of sharing these Polaroid pictures on this Instagram account called David's Disposable. And he kind of got really into the disposable camera space and now has this disposable camera app. Um, so I think, I think stuff like that is, is more of like what, what we're going to see, which is these influencers kind of owning products, launching products. It's just a, a better, more secure way to monetize than relying on brands. Okay. Okay. Um, and any any verticals that you see where this is happening in particularly? Also, um, I mean, obviously, cosmetics is one. Any other like industry? Yeah, I think fashion and and anything fashion and beauty is is such a huge industry um, because the market for you know the people that follow a lot of influencers are teen girls. So um, you know, you see influencers launching their own clothing lines. Um, for instance, with Nordstrom too. Nordstrom does this thing. The sort of pop-up collections with different influencers. Um, a really famous one, I would say, that's a good example of this is Gal Meets Glam. Um, her name is Julia Engel, and she's, you know, this very incredibly popular lifestyle influencer here in the States, and she's launched her own clothing line um, related to that that can kind of stand on its own. You know, even if you don't follow her as an influencer, you'll shop probably shop at this line. And then, um, yeah, and then you see people like these, you know, Bryce Hall and Griffin Johnson and some of these other TikTokers getting into the tech investing world. So investing in startups, I know that they invested in Atmos, which is actually a home building startup. And, um, you know, this company called Stir, which is actually a product that helps creators monetize. So I think they're making those early stage angel investments to, 
hopefully become kind of tech entrepreneurs themselves. Okay. Do you think uh, like the, the social media world is, is changing a bit now with the new administration coming in? Absolutely. I mean, I think that I think that the, the Trump years have been kind of characterized by chaos. Um, the most significant example of that to me is the TikTok ban that was supposed to happen that never happened. Um, it seemed like Trump just kind of tweeted that he was going to ban TikTok. And then, of course, it just, you know, never happened and was kind of ridiculous on its face. Um, so I think now I, I would imagine that the next administration seems to be having a much more measured approach. But I do think that regulation is inevitable. Um You know, people are starting to really understand the potentially devastating impact some of these um, platforms can have, especially around uh, disinformation and uh, COVID denialism um, here in the states. So I think I think that they might, you know, potentially be this this administration might be more open to regulation around some of that stuff. Okay. Okay. So last thing, um, how about podcasts? Is, is podcasting like still growing? Is that, is that like larger than live now? Yeah, I mean, podcasting is still such a thing. Um, I, I, you know, Spotify has made such moves into the podcast market and was acquiring all of these big name podcasts, um, actually from influencers. Like I was thinking of Addison Ray, who I know they paid a ton of money to launch a Spotify exclusive podcast. And then they bought Joe Rogan's podcast, which is the most popular podcast in America, um, to be a Spotify exclusive. So We'll see if it kind of holds. I think that we're a little bit in an oversaturation point. I feel like every single person I know in quarantine started a podcast. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how many of those really, you know, once once coronavirus is over and people can really start going back outside and socializing, you know, how much they will rely on things like podcasts and also just like audio experiences like Clubhouse. Do, do, do you think that, that, that Spotify actually has a, has a chance in the U.S.? Yeah, it's hard because like Apple has such a monopoly on um, the podcast world in some ways because it's sort of like pre-installed in everyone's phone. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, they definitely are getting more exclusive content. And just the fact that they have Joe Rogan now, I think, has made a lot of people listen, you know, make pod, make Spotify their podcast destination. Can you describe the, the role that, that Joe Rogan has a little bit? I mean, because I don't think we have somebody like him here yet. Uh yeah. I mean, Joe Rogan is just by far and away the most popular podcaster in America. Um, I don't know how many like subscribers he has, but he's, you know, makes millions and millions and millions of year. And he's number one in every single category and kind of just the most famous podcaster. And his podcast is kind of an interview show. Um, you know, he, he posts a lot of content and he talks a lot about, you know, politics, but also just general things in the world and kind of offers his perspective and has people on. Um, he's been criticized because he had, you know, people like Alex Jones on a lot back in the day. And, you know, he said things that a lot of people consider to be um, like transphobic or maybe insensitive in different ways. Um, but, you know, he's just so enormously popular that it would be very hard to dethrone him and, and anywhere that he goes, you know, millions and millions and millions of people will follow. I, I mean, what's his magic sauce? How, 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 what, how did he build that? Yeah. So, I mean, the whole appeal or, you know, what people like about Joe Rogan is people just kind of consider him like a regular guy. Um, I think he was like, you know, some kind of like fitness person. And then he was hosting fear factor. He's just kind of like, a what a lot of people would call like a guy's guy, you know, like he doesn't claim to be very smart. 
he doesn't claim to be very educated even. He's more of just like the type of person where he'll ask a lot of questions. You know, he'll be like, all right, well, tell me about that. All right, well, this is what I think of that, you know, and maybe it's an uninformed opinion, but this is what I think. So it's just kind of like, I think a lot of um, his listeners feel like they can really relate to him. Um, but he's he's he is a really, you know, phenomenal interviewer and um his interviews are very entertaining and I think um he hits on a lot of cultural issues that people care about and so um he's just yeah he's just incredibly popular (laughs) do you listen to the podcast yeah I listen to some but you know I'm more interested in like the marketing and (laughs) stuff that he's he doesn't seem to cover but yeah I, I listen to it Sure. I mean, I mean, he has all kinds of celebrities, right? I mean, he has like uh, Elon Musk, Kanye West, all these people are on mm-hmm. it. Right? Yeah, he's got tons of famous people and he's got tons of interesting people. You know, he had a really interesting election night stream actually broadcast on YouTube as well, where he had this guy, Kyle Kalinske, in to talk about, you know, the election in real time. And he really, he really, you know he has a lot of guests on. So I would say like, you know, some of, some of his stuff, like I'm not one of those people that listens to every single episode, but um, I'll I'll definitely listen to like, you know, some of the big ones. Okay. 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 So, so, so would you, would you say there's like in, in, in how many podcast listeners, I mean, there's 300 million people living in America. What do you think? How many of them are listening to podcasts? Yeah, that's a really good question in terms of the market. I think it's definitely becoming more of a thing. Um, I wrote a story last year on Gen Z podcasting and just how many Gen Z teenagers are starting podcasts um, because the bar, you know, it's to start a podcast is very easy. Um, so there's this one podcast that took off called Teenager Therapy that was made by a bunch of teenagers, four teenagers, and became very popular. They actually interviewed um, Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle on that podcast and have had a bunch of other celebrities on the podcast. And it's, you know, it's children basically making content for children. Um, But yeah, I think we'll see once the pandemic stops, you know, what, what people's behaviors are. A lot of places that people listen to podcasts are kind of on their commute to work um, or at home later. And I think we've all been at home. So it's hard to tell kind of, you know, what the actual market is and and what people's real behavior will be. Okay. Okay. How many people do you estimate are on Clubhouse in, in the US? Like more than a million? More than 2 million? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I believe they passed. Yeah, I can't remember, actually. I think it was, I I think it was, they they passed um, at least 800,000 registered users um, a little while ago, um, uh, probably a month ago, at least now. So I would imagine with their rate of growth that they're they're over a million for sure. And, and, And Discord? Um, I'm not sure. Let me actually look up how many. um, Let's see. Yeah. Okay. So Discord, um, as of last June, or let me just see. Hold on. Well, Discord, as of last summer, had over 100 million monthly active users. And that's mostly gamers, right? Mostly gamers. But, you know, Clubhouse has over a million registered accounts. So that's people that have signed mm. up in the entire life's history. And some of those people have probably signed up with, you know, different emails or different yeah, accounts. Yeah, and that's worth so, it. I mean, because some of them are dead, right? I mean, that's... Like, exactly. Mo- I mean, I would say probably a significant amount of those are people that signed up once and never went on again. So whereas the Clubhouse or Discord has over 100 million mm-hmm. monthly active users. So it's just the scale is is just 
I mean, it's comparing an ant to like a skyscraper. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 So it's also, I mean, if it's like a million accounts only, that is, that's like, you know, it's small. It, it's, that's very small. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I, for, for some reason, it doesn't feel like it's picking up to me. I mean, I looked at the American profiles. I looked at, as I said, Gary Vaynerchuk's profile. He, yeah. has, he only has like a hundred thousand. And the biggest, the biggest, I think, um, accounts or profiles are belong to like investors. I mean, how can that be? I mean, usually, like if you go mainstream, you have to have like mainstream people that have big accounts. I, I would assume, right? It's just not. It just has not taken on. It's it, it's not taken off here. I think it's. It's a. It can be a very negative experience on the app. Um, there is huge harassment problems. There's huge bullying problems. There's a lot of misinformation around certain issues. It's kind of hard to find people sometimes once you're on there. So I think it's a thing for certain communities for sure. Like it's definitely made a mark in certain communities. But I think it just, you know, I couldn't picture, for instance, like my mom getting on it. You know, and I don't know that a lot of teenagers because they're already so networked in certain ways would really find a use for it. Um, I mean, that's not to say that it won't scale, but I think it's just been a little bit of a bumpy start, and it's just not that big here yet. I mean, can you can you see like a road where they go, like the Vine and the and the and the Vero and all, all these companies? Yeah, I mean, where it could just go out of business. You mean? Yeah, I mean, it would just like, nobody would use it. I mean, it's it's like mm -hmm. uh, where's Vine today, or where are these companies today? Exactly. I, yeah, I think something like that could happen. I think the real test for all of these audio platforms is when COVID ends, because so many people are so lonely and pent up. And we've had, I mean, the, the gr spread of coronavirus in the United States is just absolutely out of control. Um, and so, you know, where I am in LA, it's, we're entire lockdowns, everything's shut down. You cannot even go, you know, the coffee shop is not even open. Every single thing is closed. Everyone has to stay inside. So I think people are turning to things like Clubhouse for social connection, but Once we get the vaccine and once the uh, things open back up and life goes back to normal, I think a lot of people will be spending a lot less time on apps like that and a lot more time in face-to-face -face interactions and parties and going out and being, or sort of getting all of that stuff that they haven't gotten in the past year. Hmm. All right. Okay. 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 <laughs> Any other other like apps or movements or like developments that you see that that you know you find interesting right now? Well, one thing that I'm really interesting is the rise of um, just chatting on Twitch. So um, I, I don't know. I wrote a story around the election of um, sort of the biggest, most subscribed to Twitch channel um, out there is this guy, Hassan Piker, who's actually this like kind of leftist political streamer. Um, but he does a bunch of gaming and comedy stuff, too. But, you know, his his whole Twitch persona is just around just chatting. So there's a section on Twitch called just chatting where it's not gaming. It's just kind of people talking almost like podcasting. Um, and that's been, that's becoming increasingly popular. So I think while, you know, clubhouse is kind of this interactive thing where it, it's an audio experience, I think also live streaming um, has taken off and sort of these just chatting channels where people are just going for a social interaction and to listen to others. I mean, how about Instagram? I mean, is Instagram like, like, losing people and I know that some of their um, newest um, features didn't work quite as, as, as they hoped uh, what, what's your take there? Yeah I think Reels is really floundering um, 
And, you know, Instagram is such a behemoth. And I think it's still where people's social networks are. It's almost like having your own little website. You know, you have your Instagram account that's public and stuff. Um, or, or maybe you have it private. It's just friends and family. But it's still kind of that place for people that quit using Facebook to kind of keep up with people that they know. But I don't think that they've been very innovative. You know, if you look at the big innovations um, around live streaming, around like video formats like TikTok or audio formats like Clubhouse, you know, to, Instagram itself is not developing these new formats. They're kind of um, trying to shoehorn a lot of that stuff in after other play, other things become successful. And and and, and Twitter, I mean, is, and Twitter has the Spaces um, feature where they try to also do like live audio and all this. Yeah, Twitter Spaces is is interesting and it's still pretty new. So, um, you know, we'll see how much, you know, it's, it's just in such a small test right now that we don't know um, how, you know, how it's going to go. Um, but it, I do think that they have the potential to um, to crowd out something like Clubhouse because Twitter is, is, has such a network and also they have experience in live content moderation from running Periscope. Hmm. That, that, didn't, that didn't go well in the end. No, it didn't go well in the end, but they have, you know, they have underlying technology, for instance, to monitor um, like problematic stuff in real time. Whereas like Clubhouse has absolutely no underlying infrastructure. Like they have to build everything from scratch. Whereas Twitter is this big company that has a lot more resources. Do, do you think like these apps can actually differentiate through like having these security features, if you want to call them that? Well, yeah. I mean, case in point, why people use Twitter and not Parler. Like, If you don't have any, um, if you don't have any user safety restrictions or guidelines, community guidelines, um, then the worst actors take over and the whole platform suffers. Like the user experience of the platform suffers. So I think new platforms have to make it a very positive user experience for everyone, so that new users continue to like invite people on and come back on. Um, And I mean, Twitter has learned that the hard way. I think the reason that Twitter hasn't scaled larger than it has is because it's kind of still this niche platform that's a little bit hard to, you know, if you, it's hard to get your feet in sometimes if you're not in like tech or media or specific world. Um, so, yeah, I think I think we'll see. And and Clubhouse, I'm sure, is you know trying to hire people as fast as they can. Um, there, there was reports that there's only nine people working there. <laughs> Which is yeah, sort of unbelievable. It's tiny compared to these, you know, something like Twitter where there's just thousands of people, you know, it's just. Yeah, I mean, with nine people, you can like live a long time with 10 million in, in the bank. Um, yeah, true. But it's, it sounds weird that they have nine people and, and, and actually like aspire to be, you know, scaling company. Yeah. Also, like, like why do they only have iOS? I mean, is that, is that the new thing yeah. to, to only develop on iOS? I don't know. It's very weird. Um, I guess it's probably a resource issue that they just don't have Android developers. But to me, it just seems so like, you know, the criticism around Clubhouse is that it's kind of exclusive in certain ways and excludes certain communities. And I think having iOS is a example of kind of excluding certain people. Um, I mean, It's crazy not to have an Android app. Although let's not forget that Instagram didn't have an Android app for a long time. I think Instagram didn't have an Android app for almost two years after launching. So maybe it was one year after launching, but okay. sometimes it takes a while, you know? Okay. 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 Thank you, Taylor, for coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yeah. I hope I ask you all the questions. I mean, I, like, when is your book coming out? Uh, 2022. So. Oh, oh, okay. So that's a while. 
a little while. Yeah, I still have to finish writing it. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. And then what's the, what's your biggest platform? Twitter, right? Yeah, Twitter, and I have a Substack now myself. So please subscribe to my Substack. <laughs> yeah, well, what's it called? It's uh, just taylorlorenz.substack.com. And then how, I mean, what do you hear? What, what are your friends that are already on Substack? What are, what are they making a year with that? What, what's possible? Oh, right I now? mean, I know people that are making well into six figures a year on Substack. Um, yeah. So some people are really making a good living on it. Um, yeah. So I talked to a person last week that said they're making 120000 a year already on Substack revenue. I mean, it's very hard because you have to be, you know, you're not just writing. You, you really are a media entrepreneur. You know, you have to like write. You have to grow your audience. You have to manage your list. You have to respond to everybody, you know. So it's, it's a lot of work um, to do Substack. But I do think for certain people, it can really pay off. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. This is really fun to catch up. Yeah, you should be back in the OMR space at some point. I would love that. I would love that. I miss Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Ciao, ciao. All right. Bye. Taylor? Taylor, Taylor? Yes. Yeah. Would, would you attribute the, the whole capital thing to, to like social media platforms? Um, I think they definitely played like a major role in it. But I think aside from all of that, like there's a lot of huge problems in America that have nothing to do with that. You know, like I think they poured fuel on the fire, but already uh, Americans are, are being radicalized and no one believes in, <laughs> or sometimes it feels like no one believes in COVID. And now, you know, there's a huge anti-vax movement. So, uh, you know, a significant amount of healthcare workers refuse our, the vaccine. Um, so there's a lot of problems. Uh, but, but I mean, did they, did, did like the, those, how do you say that the, um, the radicalization, was that like caused by social media? Would you say that? I think, I think, I think social media is a major contributing factor, but I think what is just as much a contributing factor is um, inequality. I think that like America, you know, we have no healthcare, uh, we have no public healthcare. So, it, you know, even though it's the pandemic and millions and millions of people, if you lose your job, um, you lose healthcare, you know, you lose health. If you don't have a job, you don't have healthcare unless you try to buy it through this weird market, which is really expensive. And so nobody, you know, tons of people don't do it. And so it's like, it's, I mean, that's just like one thing, but it's like, it's really broken in a lot of ways that I think people, people outside in other countries, like take certain services and things for granted. And sometimes they're like, wait, you don't have that. And it's like, no, we don't, we don't have any of that. Um, and, you know, we have huge problems with like student loans and all, all of these problems that I know that are problems everywhere, but I think are like, really, really, really bad in the U.S. Um, all of these people suffering, out of work, huge economic inequality, no public safety net. Um, people turn to radicalization because they don't, you know, that's the only thing that they can turn to. It's the only thing they feel like gives them hope. So my, my colleague and I wrote a big feature on GoFundMe and just like how basically like GoFundMe is this you know, platform for everyone because nobody could afford, I mean, first of all, healthcare, like, you know, there's more healthcare bankruptcies here than, than anywhere. And, um, in the middle of COVID millions and millions, tens of millions, you know, of people were, have lost their healthcare. Um, and then, so they turned to GoFundMe to crowdfund their healthcare, but then of course you have to go viral on there to even actually get money. So it's this whole broken system where, you know, 
people that go the most viral get health care coverage and people that don't. And GoFundMe is like where people actually like request other people to pay for their health care? Yeah, exactly. So GoFundMe is like basically like, you know, the country's only safety net, which is this crowdfunding platform where, um, yeah, and they had to, they had so many people crowdfunding healthcare costs um, in the coronavirus that they set up this whole separate sort of like air, like a whole kind of like um, hub on the website for people to help crowdfund other people's medical expenses. Um And um, and then now we see everyone, um, like which my colleague wrote about, turning to OnlyFans. So, um, you know, we also have, you know, the only the only government assistance that we have gotten in the past year in terms of direct payment was a one-time $600 payment to people that made under a certain amount. Um, and of course, there's been like, you know, expansions of certain things, like some some federal unemployment stuff. But like, It's just very different than, you know, have a lot of friends in Canada and elsewhere that have just received a lot more direct help. Like America is a weird country in, in that way. So we haven't received as much. So know. is it really like a mass phenomenon that people are like re requesting to be helped through GoFundMe? and, and Oh, yes. Oh, Philip. Yes, that's how. I mean, it's it's. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just how people pay for things um, when you don't have money. Um, it's just. But how, how, did, how, how did their only how did their like GoFundMe campaigns get reached? I mean, I mean, imagining like now your neighbor next door. How did how does he like like come out and, and say, look, sponsor me on GoFundMe so I can pay for my healthcare? Well, you have to. I'm actually gonna email you this Twitter thread of my story just so that you have it. Um, uh, I just emailed it to Chris because I don't have your email, but mm -hmm. um, Chris in the podcast can send it to you. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, basically, um, so I just read you some stats, but between March 20th and March 21st and March 24th, which was just the first days of the coronavirus, um, you know, healthcare related stuff shot up 60%, um, you know, and there's tens of thousands of people basically like immediate. And that was back in March, which now it's just become the only thing. So if you lose healthcare, which so many people do, you can't even afford any kind of basic thing. So you have people crowdfunding like, my and and a funeral costs too that's the other thing is is you know people will die of covid and then they have to crowdfund but you have to go viral to get a lot of money so you have to try to get people to share if you notice a lot of things on twitter it's like people reply with their gofundme campaigns to try to get you know like they'll reply to big accounts with the links to their gofundme to try to get money um to pay for for covid related healthcare costs and stuff like that so, and that's like millions of millions of people people doing this Tens of millions. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, yes, it's, it's the only. I mean, from, um, a, from a very perverted perspective, I mean, that's great for GoFundMe. Yes, it is. I mean, it is. And the company has, um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's been an interesting, it's been an interesting year for them. Um, but it's gotten, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's just, it's not a great system because of the inequalities on GoFundMe. Um, wait, what's your email? I'm just going to send you like some things here. Philip at omr.com. Okay. I'm just going to send you because hold on. I think you will find this interesting. Um, uh, some stuff on it, but, um, yeah, it's kind of, uh, 
it's kind of this weird system, but GoFundMe is making a lot of money off of it too. But um, people were kind of mad at them because they were like, oh, you're taking, you know, a profit from all these people. I, another th- big category on GoFundMe has been, um, you know, because businesses have not gotten any kind of relief from the government. So like uh, so many businesses are shutting down and they can't pay their workers. So these businesses have all started GoFundMe. Um well, GoFundMe as well. Do you guys have GoFundMe or? Yeah, I mean, I know the app, but it's not a it's not a big app in in Germany. I mean, I I, I know how it works. I never used it. Um, yeah, even before. All of GoFundMe's donations were medical costs. And that's everything on the whole platform. Whoa. Um, and Whoa. now since then, it's it's definitely like, you know, skyrocketed since then. Any other articles that are like of that, uh, you know, uh, surprise level for me that, that you've written in the past? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Um, let's see. Um, I don't know. I'll try to think. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mostly, very, most recently, I've just been writing more about kind of TikTok and these platforms and connections and things like that. I've I've kind of stopped writing a little bit. Well, I wrote about like I wrote about D Live. Do you guys have D Live? Have you heard of that no. at all? What is that? Um, so D Live is this live streaming platform that you know a lot of people have been kicked off Twitch, and so D Live is this like moderation free live streaming platform. So they basically like don't moderate it at all, and so all of these right-wing influencers have gotten on DLive and gotten huge audiences on DLive. So I wrote a story, um, it was last week or the week before on, um, I guess it was the week before on DLive because throughout the storming of the Capitol, um, all of these big right-wing influencers were live streaming on DLive and making thousands of dollars. So they basically monetized their live stream of, of, you know, the insurgency at the Capitol. So um, and then how, how are they paid? That. Is that a paid service? Yeah, they're paid through donation, like in-stream gifts and paid, paid, yeah, basically like paid subscriptions and paid sort of like similar to Twitch. Um, mm-hmm. So they were getting these in-stream gifts throughout their streams. This really famous one named, this guy named Baked Alaska, who's a popular, you know, right-wing conservative influencer guy. Um, he live streamed himself um, in Nancy Pelosi's office and, um, made you know thousands of dollars off of it and then these other right-wing influencers like nick fuentes and other people that have big audiences have kind of moved to DLive to monetize um wow. so well, okay yeah so interesting uh you know it's interesting to see these other platforms i think as twitter and facebook like sort of seek to kick a lot of these bad actors off um there's these other platforms that have come up like parlor that are just like the whole goal of the platform is to be moderation free and then you have these bad actors kind of hopping on there and making money potentially. And Parler is also like a paid platform then in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Parler. Okay. Parler. Yeah. What, what did you say? It's, 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 um, it's also like the, the, obviously there's no advertising on it. It's, it's also through, through paid. Uh... Yeah. There's not advertising on, par- on Parler. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not like, yeah, it's not like Facebook in that way. And, and, and um, like for the mainstream, the, the biggest mainstream thing is, is TikTok, right? TikTok is the biggest, I mean, like the biggest big um, thing. Yeah, it's definitely like, I would say it's the most transformative app in the past couple of years. And 
it's been interesting to see all these other apps try to um, copy it, you know, <laughs> like there was Triller and then there was Dub Smash, which got bought by Reddit. Um, but I think it's, you know, there's no competing with, uh, there's no competing with TikTok. And is there any like over or like business, uh, businesses that come from TikTok? I mean, that, that are built basically on, on, on TikTok reach. I mean, we've seen that with Instagram, how all these influencers came up and, and built their own business based on their, on their Instagram reach. What's happening? What, what are people doing with the TikTok reach? Yeah, I mean, people are definitely building like e-commerce companies. Affiliate marketing is really big on TikTok. Um, so you're seeing kind of lifestyle influencers and people selling like Amazon products and stuff through the growing a TikTok audience. And um, there's a lot of like brands on TikTok too. There's a lot of like vintage clothing sellers and people like that that use TikTok to show their products. And real real estate is a huge thing on TikTok here. Um, you know, there's a lot of like real estate agents on TikTok. They do video tours of the homes and properties and stuff like that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay so. okay wow they're, they're like actually like advertising for real estate on tiktok and then people like like the place and, and and try to get an appointment with the agent exactly yeah so it's just this very um you know people love looking at, at videos of beautiful homes you know even if uh okay and that's the thing on tiktok okay. okay yeah zillow is really popular too you but know, but, 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 but I mean, zillow is like a is, is a marketplace right it's like a marketplace right? It is, it is. Um, but I wrote a story about Zillow surfing and just how many people have started to do it during the pandemic. It's just very relaxing to go on Zillow and um, kind of look at places that you'll never even be able to. Is, is, is that a mainstream thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote a story. Um, let me find it. Um, so there's millions uh, yeah. of people looking at, at stuff on Zillow? Oh, yeah. It's um, it's a big pastime. Uh, it's, it's called like Zillow surfing. And everybody like kind of looks at different houses, trades different houses. Um, it's, yeah, it's just this really popular uh, pastime. It's, I think, um, you know, people say that the reason Zillow surfing has become so popular is because everyone is very fatigued with social media feeds. And Zillow has a lot of like features where you can save things. You can like zoom in on different things. You can get all this information on stuff. Look at these beautiful houses you know, look at your friends' houses, see how much they're worth or what they look like inside. Um, and, but there's no like, or just, you know, there's no social, you know, it's not like you have to feel like you have to check it or you're getting direct messages on it. So just kind of this relaxing space where people go to fantasize about <laughs> life. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. That's so many interesting things. We will, I mean, is it okay if we like keep them in, in the podcast? There's extra. Hours? Oh yeah, totally. Of okay. course. I mean, I know I'm just kind of like talking about random stuff, but, yeah. um, Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun to write about a lot of this stuff. There's always something to write about, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But now I think, oh, oh, any any other like surprising new, uh, how is it, movement or like development that I, that we haven't covered yet? Um, I feel like that's the main one. Zillow stuff. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's all these Twitter accounts for Zillow surfing now too, like. There's basically all these accounts that cure that curate Zillow homes for people to look at and stuff. Um, feels like feels like Pinterest should be that. Yes, it's it's so funny. It's actually very Pinterest-like behavior, um, but unlike Pinterest, is Pinterest I think is like purely aspirational and there's no data available. And when I was interviewing people about why they love Zillow surfing so much, a lot of them talked about like that they really liked. 
um, the details around the houses that it provides. You know, you have the summary, you can see a whole tour of the home, you can see the neighborhood, you can see the school district. So it really allows you to like kind of build this fantasy life and kind of dream about, you know, what it would be like to live there almost in a way that just some photos on Pinterest, you can't. <laughs> okay. Um, so, okay. yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for having we me. Should, we, um, should, we should have you on once in a while if you, if you like. I mean, I, I, I reach out like, I don't know, every other month or so and other couple, whenever, whenever something major happens and then check back on your stories. I mean, that's so interesting. And I, I, I think I cut it in a different way. So um, I maybe like moderate a little bit and then hear you on all these different topics and try to like um, construct a, a new type of podcast here for our, for our listeners. Um, yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah, um, I really I'm down to chat anytime. So just reach out anytime. And um, yeah, it's it was great to chat. And um, I hope all is well in uh, in Germany and that you guys are staying safe and uh, everything. Yeah, same to you. Same to you. Stay safe. And um, I'll be following you around. Buzz.